On this week's episode of the Indie Center Podcast, we sit down with actor and screenwriter Leo D. Sales. But before we get into that, a word from our sponsors. All right, episode number 15. We are here with Leo D. Sales. He's an actor and screenwriter located in Indiana. How you doing, brother? What's up, man? Thank you for having me. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. Um, so I've seen you around uh, quite a bit on, on social media. You, uh, yeah, you you were part of Raul's Cologne, Raul Cologne's film, Room 13. Yeah, yeah. 88,000 views, huh? <laughs> Dude, it's, I, yeah, I, I very, feel very lucky to, to be a part of that for sure. We, I, I don't think we had, we all really didn't know what was going to happen after, after the premiere. I mean, the premiere at the Music Box in October of 2016 was really, really big. And we were like, wow, this is a great turnout. But then you know, a couple of years later, you look on YouTube and it's got almost 100,000 views and you're kind of like baffled with the response from the audience. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been awesome for sure. And you never know what the film's going to do once it until it's out. So, I mean, what, what it's done, it's amazing. Oh. And you're the comic relief in there, which is you're, you're, you're pretty that, funny. In yeah, there, for sure. Well, I mean, it's yeah, I mean, really, really, we just made this. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but we made this film like two days, basically one and a half days. Yeah, yeah. You know? told so me. It, it was it was kind of a one of those things where. We got the script. We did, you know, the table read. We had like a week to like locate or scout our locations, and then it was kind of off to the races. So, um, just kind of like you said, man, you never really know what a film's going to do until you release it for the world to see. And obviously, there's always going to be people that sit behind a keyboard and try to act like warriors and, and, and talk shit. But at the same time, I mean, when you're a part of something good like that, <laughs> you, you can't really. Uh, you can't complain about anything, you know. I mean, it was a great experience, and you know, I, I like I told Raul this. I came out with a lot of new family members from that movie, so so it was uh, it was it was fantastic for sure. I could see the the relationship built between you and the actors. Oh, sure. So that's great to see. Definitely, absolutely, man. Did your love for uh, film begin? Well, so I mean, honestly, back in the day, like I used to watch like it's funny, it's it's around Christmas time now. I used to watch like Home Alone and and It's a Wonderful Life and all these Christmas movies with my dad when I was like six, seven, eight, you know, to ten years old. And I used to like, I used to kind of recite the words as they were being said on the screen. So my dad used to get really pissed off at me because I, he wouldn't be able to hear anything <laughs> in the movie. So I would just be saying like Kevin McAllister's lines and I'd be saying, you know, different lines from films and stuff. And I never really knew what it meant until I probably turned about 14 or 15 years old when I really decided I wanted to be a creative for kind of like my line of work. Um, uh-huh. and yeah, and then I kind of just dove into the history of film and, and, and different directors kind of exploring different mediums within the film industry. I, and then, I, you know, one day I kind of decided I wanted to at least see how it was. So I did some stand in work for Empire. And uh-huh. I kind of say it's, it's, it was kind of like off to the races as that happened. You know, that's kind of when everything I really fell in love with every little aspect of it. So I wanted to, you know, do this for my career. And, and here I am now, you know. So you made a decision so early in life like that. That was that's a really young age to say, you know, this is what I want to do for sure. And I think like, you know, obviously, when you're 14 or 15 years old, you can't go at it as hard as you want to because you're young. But, uh-huh. you know, I think the 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 going after it 100 percent really took place when I was like 21, 22. That's when I was really like, OK, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to sit behind a desk. I don't want to make phone calls. I don't want to talk to customers. I want to really do you know, I want to, I want to be a, an artist for my job. And that's kind of when I started looking for agents and seeing, you know, I just kind of get familiar, familiarizing myself with the entire industry, you know, cause if you never had an agent, you really don't know what, how it works, you know, do mm-hmm. you pay them? Do you not pay them? Like, what are they going to submit you for that kind of stuff? So when I turned, I think 19 to 21, 22 is kind of that transitional period where I really decided that I wanted to do this. And then it's just, uh. it's been a grind ever since, you know, Chicago is full of, some of the most talented actors in the entire world. So, you know, getting to work with, you know, like even like Barton Fitzpatrick, you know, from room 13, that was, that was awesome. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's, just, it, it's been a grind, but I've loved every single second of it. You know what I mean? It's always, there's always something new and there's always something you can learn from this industry. You didn't know the day before, you know? Yeah. And, and you, you just, you said it, um, Chicago's filled with a lot of talent, but it's also filled with a lot of scams. And you just said, you don't know whether to pay or pay or not pay your agents. Did you fall for scams? Uh, so I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily fall for a scam. There were people who would reach out that you know, especially when you're new to the game, you're thinking like, wow, these people say that they can get me auditions for 
you know, Disney shows and, and Coca-Cola commercials and Pepsi commercials. And, and I, I advise everybody, especially in Chicago, because there's a lot of, you know, if you'd like the bunny ears agencies in Chicago um, that want mm. you to pay money first. And, and that's kind of what happened to me is they said they wanted me to pay money. And I basically told them to fuck off, excuse my language, but I really did. I mean, you no, you're good. No, it's, it's like one of those things where you have to do your research, you know? So when you're getting an agent, you got to make sure that you're, you're going to pay them 10% when they book you something, if they want you to pay anything other than that, uh, I would advise telling them what I told the other agency. <laughs> oh, fuck off. I, um, I, I, I fell for the scam, man. I mean, the, the whole pay to play, they, 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 uh, prowl on, on the, the ones that are beginning. So coming in here, you're just hoping for the opportunity. And once you get that call saying, Hey, there's a Disney commercial or, Hey, I could get you on a movie. And, uh, you know, 300, I directed this and that and the other, just pay me 500 bucks. For sure. It's easy to fall for that. Oh yeah. Well, cause it's almost like, you, it's uh, almost like they're telling you, you can, you know, they can buy your dreams. You know, it's like you, you're they, exactly they feed off of passion from people who want to do something and they don't give a shit about the end results. So they just want to take your money, you know? And, but that's, again, that's the cool thing about, you know, Chicago is there's a lot of great agencies in Chicago that want to represent people who are passionate. And like, you know, I think all the majors do, um, you know, especially when you're looking for agent, you, you probably want to make sure, you know, a few things, make sure they're, you know, ATA franchise, SAG franchised, make sure that, you know, they have, you look at their roster, go on their website, see who's, see who's represented by them. You know, if, if you're in the, in the mm -hmm. film industry in Chicago, you know, I, I can almost assure you that if you look at every one of the major talent agencies and you look at their roster, you'll know someone that's represented by them if they're mm -hmm. a real agency. You know, talk about all the big exactly. ones. You know, you have, you have Promote, you have Stewart, you have Gray, Grossman and Jack, uh, you know, Hayes Town. Mm -hmm. You got all these all these talent agencies. You got to make sure you do all your research because these are the good ones. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm super sorry to hear that you fell for a scam, you know, because you're, you're a talented guy. You know what I mean? You got to get that talent in the right hands for sure. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, but when shit happens. You you know, live and learn. Take that Absolutely, lesson, man. You know, in the future. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. What, what was your favorite genre growing up? Because I mean, you're saying Christmas, so it was like you know the the holiday kid flicks. Was was that your thing? No, I mean honestly, I, I was kind of a, a, a weird kid, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 I grew up like watching a lot of Martin Scorsese films. So like you know, even now translating to you know me being like, 27 years old, I, I mean Goodfellas. Like casino, dude. My dad would play this shit all the time. You know what I mean? Mom would go to bed at nine yeah. o'clock. I'd stay up. I watch casino with my dad, and I was just blown away. You know, by just that that essence of like the the whole gangster, mobster, all that kind of stuff. And it's funny because yeah. my grandma, uh, my grandma used to watch all those movies. You know, we'd come home and she's sitting in a rocking chair, like eighty five years old, watching like The Godfather. And I was like. Damn, this is, this is actually this is actually pretty dope. You know what I mean? So it all it all kind of came from that. So I, I I think I think I've been interested in the more, and this is gonna sound bad, but I've almost been interested more in like the the violent, nitty gritty, no bullshit. Like this is how it is, kind of film. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like obviously, I love like I mean, I'm not docking Christmas movies because I love Christmas movies, and I started watching them in September. But uh -huh. at the same time, it's like I think I'm more drawn to the very dark, you know, kind of like the dark essence of of filmmaking, whether it's you know, Scorsese kind of bringing sub subjects to light when people don't really talk about them or even Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino does that a lot too. And a lot of people don't like him for it, but I love him for it because he's bringing out topics that no one else is talking about, you know? So. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what was, um, what was your top five favorite uh, gritty films? Oh man. You're going to do this to me right now, aren't you? Let's see. Um, yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, um, my top five, man. This is so hard, bro. Um, <laughs> well, my favorite film, <laughs> you know, to, to, to the audience, you know, listening to this, I apologize if there's a lot of Scorsese movies in here, but I'm such a big Scorsese fan that I can't leave any of his of his films out. Um, mm. I think, you know, well, my, my my number one favorite film of all time is The Departed. That's that's really what kind of like inspired me to to do what I do. Um, so the part mm. the part of we have to be one. Um, that's kind of the ultimate film about. You know, you you see um, people going through you know trials, tribulations. You witness like betrayal between two people mm -hmm. who have known each other for their entire lives. Um, so the the party would definitely be one. Um, you can't leave the Godfather out. That's for sure. Godfather would definitely be number oh two. Oh my god! Um, you putting the whole series on there? What's that? You putting the whole se entire series? Mm, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put Godfather Part One and Two with, uh, as number two. Okay. Number three. 
is going to be uh, going to be left in the uh, in, in in the dirt for a little while, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> we'll do. Man, this is tough. All right, so we got I know. Departed. So many God, great films. Godfather Part One and Two, and again, I'm 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 on a Scorsese kick now too. So I'm going to go Goodfellas. Uh, cas- uh. Goodfellas Casino Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is one of my favorite films of all time too. So. All right. Wait, that's way too. That's way too. I thought you struggling question, there, man. Bro. That's way too tough a question, bro. I had a thousand things. Going I should have gave you the heads up. I should have texted you, man. <laughs> man, oh my god! But I, I, I love talking about Scorsese's movies, though. I mean, dude, like, we, I just saw the Irishman. Oh man, he's awesome. Yet. Oh my god, dude! I started watching it, but it's three and a half hours, man. It's three. It's way three too long. I mean, minutes, if I didn't dude. have the kids, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, sorry. Dude, All right. it so is. Kill me for that one. Oh my god, god. it is so. It is. It is so, so far is great. Well, because like, so I, I, I so saw that. I, I, I mean, they've been teasing this for like the last six months and then i saw raul post about mm-hmm. it so right when i saw raul post about it like I, I i love raul more than anything dude that kid if i like like one of his statuses like in two seconds he'll call me and he'll be like no, <laughs> bro you need to watch the irishman so he's like you need to watch you need to watch you need to watch it so i'm sitting in my apartment and it's like six o'clock and i'm like talked to my girlfriend i was like rachel like you know we should just watch it it's three and a half hours but like let's just watch it we're not doing anything else it's thanksgiving break <laughs> dude so we watched it and it blew my fucking mind it is like honestly you it's should, like Scor- it's scorsese at his best like at his top of his game and he's this is his latest film i mean he's bringing back everybody dude he's got de niro pacino you got joe pesci mm-hmm. i tell you have an entire cast of people i mean even ray romano's in it and it's just like, yeah, it's uh, sure. oh yeah, Ray, yeah. My wife was looking at me. She's like, "Who is he?" I'm like, "That's Ray Romano." You, you don't know who Ray Romano is. It's insane. Is? Well, because I, 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 it, it kind of took me by surprise when I saw Ray Romano in the film. But I think Ray Romano had something to do with. Uh, I, I that could be wrong. Something to do with a, a show called Vinyl on HBO, and Scorsese okay. says he executive produced that. So I'm pretty sure how that's how that relationship happened. But Ray Romano that got connected. Movie. He was he was fantastic. Dude. Oh yeah, so good. I gotta finish so watching it. I think I'm at uh, a, an, an hour and forty minutes in, I believe. Oh man, but we you, gotta finish watching it. You have life. not seen nothing yet, brother. I mean, you gotta let me know how you like it for sure. Oh, definitely. Uh, so, I was looking through your resume and all your films that you've done. Mm-hmm. Bell kind of stood out for me, right? Yeah. So, Bell is is a period piece film. Yeah, absolutely. How was it making it, and how difficult was making a period piece film? Well, I, so it's, it's funny how, how Bell happened. Um, so Bell is, is, you know, it's a SAG film. It's, it's kind of a, a period piece about uh, a notorious serial killer back in like the late 18th century, early 19th century. Um, and mm-hmm. she would basically lure men to her cabin from across the country. Um, wealthy men, you know, backtracking wealthy men. She wanted to take their money and then she would kill them. And essentially she would just, she would kill them put them in a meat grinder and then feed these, these people to the hogs. So there was no trace of these men anywhere. Um, and no know, shit. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So, you know, I, when I heard they were doing a movie about it, I was like, okay, like, I don't care what I have to do. I need to be a part of this. So it was, I think it was like four or five days before principal photography started. I randomly added the director, uh, on Facebook, his name's Steven Ruminski. He's worked with John Hancock a lot. John Hancock did Prancer. He did bang the drum slowly back in the day. Um, and he actually lives in our hometown. So, um, I reached out and I said, yo, um, you have no idea. And, 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 mind you, I added him. And before he could even re- accept my friend request on Facebook, I already, I already messaged him. So I was like, <laughs> I was so eager to do this part. I was like, yo, like I said, and you know, it's, it's one of those like little moments where you just feel super ballsy and you're like, all right, I'm just going to say this. And there's, there's no way he's yeah. not going to cast me. So I was like, you know, <laughs> this is uh, this is a part that only I can play. So if you audition anybody else it's going to be wrong and it's not going to be as good as you want it to be. So if you, if you, and I, and, and I was just completely out of my, out of my fucking mind for saying that. Right. Cause like, I mean, there, there's, there's a million other people who do that part, but just being a naive little shit that I was, I was like, all right, bro, like, this is me. What do you want me to do? So he, he, uh-huh. it says that he read it. And then like three hours later, he didn't reply. And I was like, oh shit, I just, I just totally screwed myself over. So he goes, he goes, okay, I'll give you a shot. Come to, he's like, come to the library. Um, we're going to be downstairs in room like 15 B. So I walked in and to my surprise, there was like seven other dudes auditioning for the part. And I was like, Oh, this is great. Like, this is, you know, my, my, my comment to him really made an impression. Cause there's seven other guys down here. look just like me. Um, uh-huh. but I, I went in and the read went, the read went really good. And, and, and fortunately he offered me the part, but then, you know, once you get the part, it's more of like, it's you're excited for a second, but then you, you realize that 
this is a totally different time period than what you're living in, you know? So yeah, going back in time and kind of even looking at the mannerisms and little idiosyncrasies of, you know, how people acted, how people reacted, how they talked, how they, and even, even their body language, it, it just says so much, you know, it's always very proper. Um, you know, yeah. you see people slouching in their chairs now and that was not a thing back then. So getting, getting kind of the, the body language and the idiosyncrasies and then especially the dialogue that was the most challenging part for me for sure because it was just so new you know um yeah. and before these parts i was playing like little frat guy parts and i was playing like little like smart ass you know white boy yeah, that, the you asshole know. you were the asshole yeah. in the films and then going going to a you know a, a, a nice polite you know photographer in this film it was a very big, big transition. It definitely tested, you know, my ability as an actor, but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that it came out really well. And that's just kind of an ode to, you know, if you do the work, um, it'll speak for itself. So you just have to really that, dive in. That That's crazy that you have to unlearn the way you behave and then learn how, how to behave in a different, you know, age in a different century. That, that, that's, that's hard to do. Oh, it's so hard, man. Because you don't, you don't, you don't see that every day. So you literally have to, like, dive into the 1800s to see how they do it. And and did you practice in front of a mirror, or how did you do it? Well, so it's funny. Like, you know, I think all, everybody who knows me really well, I think Raul especially knows this. I can't grow facial hair worth a shit. So I, I <laughs> it was, it was so funny. So like, I, you know, I feel like. Everybody always talks about, you know, when you get into the costume and your makeup gets done, you can kind of really dive in 110% and, and envision what you want this character to look like. So I was like, you know, for the, for two weeks before before filming, I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna grow my I'm gonna grow my mustache out. Can't grow a mustache at all. It's like you see these little specks coming out of like my upper lip, and it's weird. So I let it grow <laughs> out for like a week and a half, two weeks, and then I went to Walgreens like on a whim. I think I was going to get like a Red Bull or something like that. And I saw they had mascara. So I was like, this could work really, really well. So it's like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I had like a part-time job that I worked in the afternoon. So I would stay up late and kind of like, you know, watch films and I'd read the script, this kind of stuff. So it's like one in the morning, I'm sitting in my room and I, I, I'm just like looking at the mascara on, on my desk and I haven't opened it. I'm just looking at it. And I'm thinking like, huh. why not? You know, just, I'm, I'm trying to give myself a reason. Like, why not, why not try it out? You know? So I, Pop that shit open and I freaking started slopping it on my face, dude. And the first, the first, the first initial reaction to myself when I saw it, I was like, "Oh my god, it looks like I have a mustache. It looks, it looks real." So I, 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 I go all out. I get in. I get in the suit. I do my hair. I get in the mustache. I get the mustache on. I wore like an old knit tie to kind of like kind of feel, you know, feel the early nineteenth century presence of 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 you know. Mr. Cook coming out of me. So then, and, and it's so weird. I, I, would I was taking like selfies and taking like mirror pictures and like really trying to get into it. And it's like, again, and mind you, it's like one thirty in the morning. So I text all these pictures <laughs> uh -huh. to Steven, the director thinking like, Oh, he's going to love this shit. And I, did, I literally did not, did not get a reply to him until like the following Thursday. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, Shut dude, the fuck what, up. what am I doing right now? But then all he said was, all he said was like, looked great. That's all he said, two words. And I was like, okay. So I, <laughs> so that's kind of how it worked. But you sent them a message. You sent them selfies at two in the morning, one in the morning. Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, cause like, I was just so excited about somewhat having like a real mustache. Like, I don't, it was something weird. It's like, okay, like uh, this is real. So like, I want to get some input on it. And I'm pretty sure I sent it to like more than one person too. It was like Steven and like the director of photography, one of the producers and like, you know, our mayor, Mark Krenz, he's uh he's mayor Laporte. He's actually an actor as well. And he was, I, I was kind of sharing the screen with him uh, in, in the scene we were doing. And I sent uh. him the pictures afterwards too. And it's funny because I only got like two replies and I'm still wondering out why, but <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> it worked out in my favor because I, I think that, you know, if, if anybody has seen it online and, you know, if they've seen the film or the stills, they think that it looks real. So like basically slash makeup artists that can make dudes look like however they want. You know I mean? uh, <laughs> yeah. Please tell me you, you provided some text to the picture. You just didn't send people selfies of you with a duck face. Oh, did you, I did mean, you say, Hey, this is my new mustache. I'm a minimalist. So I was just like, does this look good? And it works. You know what I mean? Cause like, cause they, they said, they said uh, like, I, I was like, all right, I'm just going to play it slow. So I'm going to take a selfie, send it to them, say, does this look good? And then they're going to have, they're going to be like, Oh my God, this looks so good. But like every person was just like, yeah, it looks good. 
like like they were expecting me to do it you know what i mean i was like oh my god but no it was it was a, a fantastic experience bell was bell was a, a great experience for more than one reason you know i got to work with um ann hagman uh she's super super talented i got to work with will lot um i got to work with uh mayor krentz and laporte too amanda radabaugh um steve Raminsky. the whole team with bell is they, they were just impeccable they did such a good job and that was definitely a good learning experience for me and, and one that definitely pushed me to, to do better every day. Cause I had to, you know what I mean? If, cause you're, you're, you're just, you're with so many talented people that if you don't perform, you know, it's going to tell on screen. So you got to make sure that, you know, you're busting your ass and you're on your game. And that, that movie definitely brought that out of me for sure. Oh, definitely. Do you, uh, for shits and giggles, do you still put the mascara on your lip? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on what day it is. You know what I mean? Like it's like, I, mean, I guess any, any day that ends in Y, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean i mean I, I think i still have that mascara but i've never been put in the position where i needed to grow my facial hair out because again like it's, i mean it's a lengthy process bro i'm like a, i'm like a 13 year old kid bro i can't i can't grow facial hair so like i mean if, if i wait two weeks i mean it's gonna be like it's gonna be like these little like speckles coming out of my face and shit and but yeah I, I still got it at home i still cherish it and it's it's always there for a lonely night you know what i mean all right. Yeah. Um, so um, you've you've done quite a bit of horror films. Actually, a lot of your your films and your uh, filmography has been horror. Yes. Um, does doing horror films take the fun out of watching horror films? Absolutely not. No. So I mean, I've always been kind of interested in the horror genre, and and, and I think the last like two years of my life, I've really kind of dove into that genre of filmmaking, and it, it's cool to see. You know, there's so many great directors making so many good films now. You know, you have like um james wan i mean his whole universe with like the conjuring and, and insidious and even pre-james mm. wan you have like wes craven and, and these aren't just horror filmmakers these are really good filmmakers that kind of focus in on the horror genre so when you're doing a horror film and if people always ask me like is it scary when you're filming it and and obviously it's not scary when you're filming it because there's cameras and there's a crew and this kind of stuff but the location especially for room 13 that was one that was really that was kind of kind of scary it was like an abandoned building yeah it did look creepy oh, super super scary but it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't take the fun out of watching horror films because whenever you see a really well done film i mean of course like there's always those like those like cnd movies on netflix that you watch that are horrible but if you look at like yeah. a, you know like even one of the most recent horror films that i've seen is hereditary i thought that was fantastic super super mm. good um but no i think in general it doesn't take any enjoyment out of watching the films i think it's cool to say you know okay i'm part of i'm part of I'm part of, you know, making horror films. So getting to enjoy them on your couch, just kind of like, Oh, like maybe next time we do a film, we can incorporate this or this because, you know, the film industry is, is an industry of people stealing from each other. You know what I mean? It's like stealing ideas. It's, it's doing all this kind of stuff. Of so course. it's just, it's, it's really cool to see how other people make films. And I'm, I'm, I will always be a huge fan of, of the horror genre for sure. Is there a horror film that like to this day scares the shit out of you? Um, yeah, there's, let me see. There's, so a lot of people don't think this, but there's a, there's a film called The, the Devil Inside Us, I think, or The, de uh -huh. the, the Devil yeah. Inside, I think it's called. And I, there's something about those found footage horror films. And then sometimes you, you see these actors and actresses that play off being like possessed so well that you're like questioning their sanity in the film. You know, even uh -huh. like, like, and this, again, like, I'm sure people have seen this and I don't know if they feel the same way, but there's another film called The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And mm -hmm. my girlfriend and I watched that movie, I'd say probably once every two months. And every time we watch it, we're like, she is like, she literally looks like she's possessed. Like, she's like, not even, she's not even a person. Like the way she's talking, the way her, she looks and like the way, the, the way she's like contorting her body. It's just like, those are like, the films that are like scariest i feel like it's it's not necessarily the ones that have like the most blood and guts but it's the one that are it, it most resembles a human being because you still uh -huh. see a human being inside this like this like dark nature of a character and it's like oh my god like but there's there's a lot of films that i still i mean i still get terrified when i see the first halloween that's like a, 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 a really really good film all the conjuring movies are all scary but if i had to pick a couple um that still scare the living balls out of me it would probably be the the devil inside and the exorcism of uh, Emily Rose for sure. Do you ever wonder, um, cause you're, you're talking about the Emily Rose. Yeah. Uh, do you ever wonder what it's like to, uh, for the, for the character process for the actor to get into it? Do you ever wonder how rigorous and how exhausting it is to, to play a, a possessed uh, person? Oh, sure. I mean, like, have you ever, like, I mean, into that? yeah, I mean, I, I, I've talked about that before. I've had conversations with this, you know, about this, this exact topic with people before. I mean, when you when you talk about you know doing a scene where you're you're very upset or where you're very 
angry and you have to kind of keep that momentum throughout the entire day because if you lose it, you know, it's going to show, you know what I mean? So that's, I think this, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've never been involved in a project where I've been possessed, but you know, if, if you put yourself in, in the shoes of an actor or actress who needs to play possessed, it's kind of like the same thing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you can't act like a normal person because if you act like a normal person, the audience is going to know that you're not possessed. So I, I would, I would, I would, you know, assume that it's a pretty rigorous process to, to continually act like you're a demon, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. I, I'm sure, and I, I think some, you know, some of like the, the best acting I've seen in a long time comes from people who play possessed people. And that sounds crazy, but especially when you look at like the contortionist, what they can do with their body. And then, you know, mm-hmm. while they're doing that with their body, what they can do with their face and then what they can do with their vocal cords. And when they all blend it together, I think that's what really makes it a, a scary little piece, you know? Yeah. Uh, what is your... Uh favorite genre when when is right when you're writing favorite genre. so i lo- i really really like writing drama pieces and i probably have i would say six full length dramatic screenplays on my computer that have never come to fruition um mm. but i was like diving into different topics you know like I've, I've written horror films before but i think the problem with writing horror films and i i still love it to this day but the problem is with writing horror films like almost every idea you can think of whether you think it's original or not has been taken you know, like every exactly. every single horror film has been done before. So whenever I like with Hereditary, I like that so much is because it's so different. It's so outside the box and unique that you get to dive into almost like a different subgenre of horror. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think lately I've been more intrigued in writing like drama pieces and creating these stories and kind of bringing those to life rather than writing horror films. Because I feel like a lot of screenwriters and actors that like to write, they'll kind of pick the horror genre because they've. I mean, everybody knows how horror movies go. It's kind of like a uh, a preconceived like little notion that okay, this person's a re- an, an, an idiot. They're gonna go up the stairs, and this happens, and this happens. So, like, uh-huh. I think people kind of gravitate towards writing horror at, at the at least at first because they know that they can have a complete film. But when you kind mm-hmm. of look at the the scope of of being a creative and writing, that's when I think people should kind of start diving into writing little dramatic pieces and writing, you know, whatever, you know, you, even about your own experiences. I think that's a, that's kind of a healing process with a lot of people is, you know, oh, definitely. whether, whether we know it or not, all of our colleagues, friends, coworkers, you know, family members, everybody has traumatic experiences, you know, and I think writing is a very cathartic process. And I, I urge anybody who's wanting to write to, to download Celtics and, and just start writing, you know, it doesn't have to be the best screenplay in the entire world, but it's definitely cathartic and you'll definitely get those creative juices flowing. And, and I think a lot of it helps with the healing process too. You know, if you go through some traumatic and you write it down all on paper and you read it, it's like, okay, I'm not holding it in anymore. It's, it's on paper. So it's, it's mm. not, you know, nothing's bottled up inside me. And I think it's a very cathartic thing to do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, dramatic pieces, definitely. I definitely want to finalize a script that I like enough to send to people and try to send to agents or get made. But um, right now I'm kind of more focusing on doing, you know, kind of getting to where I want to be, at least with the acting side of things right now. And then, if you know, if, if that somehow does take off, I would definitely love to, to start writing a little bit more for sure. I, I think what you just said is so true, where uh, people write about their whole life experiences, you know, the grievances to where they, it helps them heal. Yeah. Uh, the best example of that as of recently uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, yeah, Honey Boy, dude, for sure. Have, have you, did oh, you check it out? Or is I have not yet? seen it yet, but I'm a huge Shia LaBeouf fan, so I need to watch it. Yeah, man. I mean, that. To see that and then to go back to even Stevens or, you know, all the movies and films that he'd done earlier on, it'll, you know, give a new perspective on the actor of it. So I, I definitely, yeah, oh, I, for I sure. definitely agree with you with that. Well, I remember like watching um, even Stevens when I was a kid, you know, I would watch even Stevens and, you know, he was a part of this TV show that made a lot of kids happy. You know, I, I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I watched even Stevens after school, whether it was a hard day at school. Cause I mean, this sounds crazy, but when you, when you're a kid, I mean, the littlest things that you go through can be traumatic. You know, it's like, you know, you see in films all the time, you know, little kids getting told that they're fat or, you know, getting made fun of. And like those little things people overlook, but those things are traumatic, dude. I was, I was a lot, I was a really heavy set kid when I was in elementary school. So, you know, mm. people calling me like a like fat or like fat ass or whatever, like those things hurt, you know, but you wouldn't like express yeah. it because you didn't want to look like a pussy in front of your friends. So when you, yeah. when you come home and you'd watch even Stevens or Lizzie McGuire or whatever, you're watching something that like a, a group of people is making for that reason to make kind of get you out of the, the sad zone and put you in the happy zone. But then, you know, looking at it from a different scope, it's like, okay, 
even Stevens was making a show to make kids happy or, or uh, Shia LaBeouf was making a show to make kids happy. But at the same time, he was unhappy doing it, you know? Yeah. So I love films like that. And the fact that he wrote it and directed it and he played his own father, that's just, that's the coolest yeah, thing. Powerful, I, I, it's man. so powerful. That, that's the kind of thing. Those are the kind of films that should be, you know, really recognized. And, and, and I, I don't think awards mean shit, but I think those are the kind of films that need to be up for praise at the Academy Awards, you know, at the Golden Globe, SAG Awards, those kinds of things for sure. Definitely. Uh, what was your favorite film that you've done and why? Oh, my favorite. God, it's all the filmmakers are going to hear this too. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I think that my, my, my favorite full length film I've ever done, the like feature, like feature film um, would be dark Round. That was my first feature film that I ever did. Um, big shout out to, to Craig Whedon and Chris McDaniel. You guys are awesome. We basically shot a full length feature in like four days, five days. Um, I went down to, Edinburgh, Indiana for four days, stayed in a hotel. We had like 13, 14 hour shoot dates. And we actually just had the premiere in October um, and it was really well received. So that was a really special experience for me. But I think overall, my favorite experience filming any, any movie at all. And I I always go back to this. It's, it's room 13. And I can't say, you know, enough good things about Raul and the entire cast and crew. Um, Raul really dresses his set to where everybody's very comfortable but at the same time, he always gets the performance he needs out of his actors. You know, there's a lot of things that, mm-hmm. you know, Raul and I talked about improvisation, you know, a lot in that film. And he was kind of pushing me to my limits and, and, and he would get rid of, excuse me, and he, he would kind of get rid of any fear that I'd have before I was going to do a scene. So if I wanted to do something a little wild and out there, he was always very supportive of it. Um, and he, he, he would assure me that I was capable of doing it, you know. So that film definitely kind of pushed me. Um, to become a better actor, a better person, a better artist, creative. And then the relationships I got out of that too, you know, you know, Barton is, I'd say he's still one of my best friends. We don't talk as much as we, we used to, cause he's a little busier nowadays, but you know, mm. Barton and I, we, we've shared a lot of memories. We drove to Atlanta from Chicago overnight for, for an audition that I had <laughs> down there. Um, and, and those things wouldn't have happened had I not done that film. So, um, very thankful to still be a part of that and, and, and be close with the cast and crew. And again, another big shout out to Raul. He's, he's such an incredible filmmaker. I'm not sure if you ever personally worked with Raul, but he is just, he's so good. He, the, the way Great guy, you know, he, he's, he's just, I mean, the, the dude, he, 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 he's turned into like a brother, you know, he, he calls me at Monday when I'm at my day job at like noon <laughs> and I'm working and he, I'd answer and he's like, Hey, just wanted to you know, see what was up. How you doing, bro? And then that, that's it. It's, it could be a two second, nice. it's a two second phone call, but it's just, you know, those are the people in your life that you want to stay and never leave for sure. So that just, that just tells you a lot about the Chicago acting community. You know, it's, it's a group of people who support each so, it, Oh, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine being in a different area, you know, like Los Angeles or Atlanta, you know, there's the Chicago acting community again is, is one of the talent, most talented communities we have and one of the most tight knit communities we have because everybody turns into family overnight, you know, and that's yeah. such a beautiful thing. So I'd say for sure, Room 13, that's definitely my, my favorite overall experience. Definitely, man. Raul Colon, um, I, I work really close with Enrique Guzman, yeah. which is like, you know, his brother. He's so, that dude, man. Yeah, me and him have been working with each other for the past, I want to say a year, year and a half. For sure. And um, out of nowhere, Raul Colon called me and I have no idea who this guy, the number is. So I pick it up. He's like, oh, hey, it's Raul. I'm like, oh, shit, Raul. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to get my, I don't know how he got my number, but he was like, hey, you know, I just wanted to do, introduce myself and say thank you for working with my brother. Mm-hmm. So, man, yeah, he's a real down to earth yeah. guy, man. I mean, and even like really my, my that, relationship man. with Enrique, Enrique is my boy too. And, you know, that wouldn't happen if we had not done you know, walkers in the city or room 13. So th- that whole group of people, I mean, I think this is our first time actually speaking to each other, but uh-huh. I mean, I still consider you a brother too. Like everybody in this, in this film community, I mean, everybody can always lean on everybody and it's, it's just a cool thing. And you can't, you can't get that in, in huge motion pictures. You know, you gotta be, it's, it's gotta be set on like a more intimate setting at like a, like an independent film to really get these yeah. relationships with people. And, and, um, yeah, just very thankful to kind of be where I'm at and, and be surrounded by the people that I'm surrounded with because it, it's hard, especially when you're an actor, to, to feel relevant in a city like Chicago. You have to have mm-hmm. people like that around you. You have to have people who are always – they're always supporting you and always saying, dude, like, you know, like, this is it. You know what I mean? And they, they assure yeah. you that, you know, like, another thing too is like, you know, when, when you have an audition, I think a lot of – and whether whether actors admit this or not, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to sign the casting beforehand, you're going to be like – hell yeah, dude, this is like, this is my shot. This is it. 
but that I feel like, so there's sometimes there's this, there's this like preconceived notion when you walk into the room and even if you don't look, you see like six or seven other guys that are dressed just like you that have the same mm-hmm. sides as you. And then the, the fear and the doubts are coming in, you know? Exactly. So to have these people around you that are saying, yo, look like this, this is the bottom line, dude. If you get chosen to audition for, let's say it's a part in empire, Chicago fire, or a movie being filmed in Chicago, it, you can't question whether you can do the part or not because you can you can yeah. do, you can do the part if you're, if you're getting you were you were picked out for the audition exactly there's thousands of people hundreds if not thousands oh sure auditioning and for you're, it so you're, you're good enough to you're good enough to do this role there's not there's not a doubt in hell that you can't do the role but the one mm-hmm. thing is is you have to remember it's like are you f- more fitting than the person next to you and that's all it is mm-hmm. and it can literally be if the casting director didn't have breakfast and they're in a, they're in, they're in a little bit you know, they're, they're just not in the right mood and they see someone else they like better. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. So like, this, yeah. this is kind of a generalization to anybody who's listening to this. Like if you get an audition for a show or a movie or what have you, it, you know, your ability to play the part is not in question and it's never in question. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fitting thing. Do you fit the part better than the next guy and the next guy? And if you don't, then after the audition, rip your fucking sides up, throw them in the garbage and then work your ass off for the next audition and then and then and then mm-hmm. you have another shot you know so you have to just keep but you got you got to walk in you got to walk in with confidence though because oh, the moment yeah. you walk in with doubt and, and negativity in your mind you've already lost you've already oh, compromised sure. your your whole side absolutely and, and then that's that's kind of like what i do whenever i walk into like a big audition you know like my first thing is you got to sign in and then you sit down and then literally like my eyes are at the sides the entire time and when i know that i've got it i put my sides down I listen to music and then until I'm called in, like, I don't really like to talk to anybody else just cause like, if I talk to someone else, I can kind of take me out of it for a second, you know? So mm-hmm. you just got to go in there and you got to give your interpretation of what they gave you and then, you know, make, make the words on the paper stand up. And then when you're done, just leave. It's just, it's like a job interview. You know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm yeah. urging people to, to, to remember this because like, I feel like when, when some people like whether they're excited or not, they still have that doubt. It's like, Oh, I got to ask the audition to, for this, but there's a hundred other people auditioning for it. It's like, okay, well, you're you're one of the hundred that can play this this part, you know. So go in there and show them you can do it. And if they think you're fitting, mm-hmm. you'll book it. If not, then just move on to the next one. You know, you got to keep that, got to keep that that confidence up at, even after you leave the audition. You got to be confident. You got to be happy and, and grateful that you're there because if you're not, the next person right next to you is gonna they're, they're gonna go in there thinking how they should be thinking and they're going to book it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So exactly for sure. And it's really important to have that supportive group around you. Cause like you said, it's hard to find people like that in Chicago full of talent because especially in this industry, it's so competitive and everybody just wants to be in front of everybody. So nobody's going to check up on you and say, how you doing? Like Raul. Oh, you know, text you out the blue. So it's really important to have people like that around you. For sure. I mean, I mean, kind of going back to, you know, that, that audition I had in, in Atlanta with Bart and, you know, I, I didn't get the part so I can, I can say what it was for now. I had a, I had a really big read for a show called the, the vampire diaries. Um, oh, I okay. know that show. And, you know, I went in and I literally, it was like the best audition I've ever had in my entire life. I was like crying and I was very emotional and it was just super, super, you know, it was, it was just a great audition. You know, so they got in the car mm-hmm. and I was like, I booked that shit. You know, and that, but then again, like my mindset wasn't right because <laughs> I, I, I went, yeah. the first thing I said was I booked it and that's already putting me in a bad mindset. And then two hours later, you know, I get a call from my agent and they're like, Hey, like they said, you look two years too old. So you didn't get it. So now I'm on the way home from Atlanta all the way to Northwest Indiana with a, a very talented actor and I'm already put in a bad mood. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just got, you, yeah. you got to just have a, a very, like a very steady mindset when you, when you're going into auditions, because like you got to go through probably a hundred before you book one. And, but when you book that one, it makes it even that much sweeter. Cause like, you're like, yo, I just worked my ass off for this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's just, it's all about your, your mindset. Your mindset's gotta be there. And if it's not, then I think that people are going to have a really tough time in this industry because it's not for everybody, you know, but if you're talented enough and you have the right mindset and you work your ass off, you know, no matter how long it takes, you will get to where you want to be. You just got to believe that, you know? Yeah. What was the age range for that audition? <sighs> Um, I mean, it was, it was, I think it was anywhere from like eight. I, I, I don't even remember like the breakdown, but I think it was probably like 18 to 25 ish, something like that. But again, it's and just... how the fuck do you look two years too old when you can't even grow a mustache? <laughs> again, man, again, man, that's like one of those things where it's like, you don't really, you don't know what the casting director is thinking and you never will. And I think yeah. if, if we did know what the casting director was thinking, a lot of us would book more things. But at the same time, you know, it's again, it's a learning experience. You get in front of a casting director for a huge TV show. 
and they, they uh, got your headshot and resume and, and who knows what's going to happen after that. You know what I mean? They, they have, they had yeah, your profile. Like you might not fit it for, for this audition, but there might be one that he's like, you know what? That guy that looked um, like a like a struggling sixteen year old, he could probably do it. And then they'll give you a call right back. You did not right? just say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you talked about improvising on room thirteen. Yeah. How how much of your dialogue was improvised? I yeah. So I, I the, the script the script had like a basis, kind of like a a breakdown of what each scene was to be like, and and you know. I didn't. I wouldn't say that I improvised every scene, but I'd say a good half of my dialogue was probably improvised, and that was just you know Raul and I kind of coming together and saying, "Hey, how would this? How, how what do you think about this?" And with improvisation, you can't really plan out what you're going to say, but at the same time, it's like, uh-huh. "What do you think about if I went on a tangent here and then end it here?" You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that makes the filmmaking process really it, it makes it exciting because as an actor, you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth next, and you kind of just let it fly. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I was doing when I was doing room 13, I was watching the show entourage a lot. And, um, Ari gold, Jeremy Piven's character in that show, is kind of like a lit match and like a loose cannon. So, you know, I, I was, I was kind of inspired by that and just kind of having no filter. And then, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how many times you've seen the film, but there's a lot of those parts where I kind of just go off on little tangents and, and people are wondering like, what the hell is this dude doing? He's wild. But that's that's what made it fun, you know, is because I didn't uh-huh. I didn't know what was next. Raul didn't know what was next. The other actors didn't know what was next, and that's what makes it fun because every single scene is very organic, you know. That's the that's the part of you know filmmaking that you get to just kind of you get you get a piece of paper, you just rip it up, and then you just let the words fly, and and it's uh it's just a beautiful little thing, and yeah. So I'd say probably half of my dialogue was improvised, but again, it was kind of under, under the supervision of Raul telling me what he wanted, and then me kind of working on what he wanted, and then we came up with, you know, a game plan and we let it roll. And it can't, I, I, I think it came out pretty well. I mean, obviously there's some, there's some keyboard warriors on YouTube that didn't think so, but again, uh-huh. you know, if we're happy with it, that's, that's all that matters. You know, if, if you're making a short film and you're happy with it, then it, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It, improvising is so refreshing. that <laughs> I, I, I could just imagine there's been plenty of times where you're doing a take and, and you're going off a tangent and you say something crazy, like, uh, your titty fucking a ghost, and then like the whole room just starts laughing. Yeah, I mean, I think like I think there are sometimes when you're when you're improvising and you like not not go too far, but then you you start saying something that's almost like you're just having a, a stupid conversation with your best friend, and then I mean, once mm-hmm. one person laughs, it's over. You know, what I mean, there were definitely yeah. some times during the filming filming of Room Thirteen where I'd say something, and then you know either Raul would laugh or shout out Carlos, Car- Carlos would laugh or Dom Capone would laugh or Bart would laugh or what have you. And then we have to retake. But again, that's what makes it fun because once you have to cut, it's, it's a whole new ball game the next scene. So then you, you go again uh-huh. and then you go again and then you go again. And then it's kind of up to Raul to go through the footage and say, all right, this is what I like. It's hilarious. And, and you know, what's funny is that the, the part in room 13 where people laugh the most was actually not improvised. There was uh, when we pulled up to um, the building in, I, I think Streeter, Illinois, um huh. and tj Ch- charles was there tj um he mm-hmm. was there and and i said it was like one line it's like who the fuck is that fucking rapist? who the fuck is that guy yeah, who, yeah. who the fuck is that fucking rapist and then everybody <laughs> just like the whole theater started cracking up and i had no idea they were gonna laugh at that part so it kind of just tells you like it kind of shows you like oh i think this is gonna get a good reaction but then like even the mm-hmm. things that you think are gonna kind of just slip by those can be the funniest scenes and that was definitely one of those for sure Definitely. Um, so you, you talk about a lot um, getting into these frat boy, you know, roles, yeah. witty roles, smart ass roles. Mm-hmm. Um, does that come natural? Because it seems like it's like a walk in the park for you. Well, to I, be mean, an asshole I mean, sometimes. like, I think like I, I'm I, I think if you, if you were to ask any of my close friends that are not artists or they're not actors, they would not they, they'd say that I'm not like that. But I, uh-huh. I think after Room 13, especially having that little I was kind of like the poster child of like being the asshole in that film so after room 13 I did get like even with like my agents at the time I was getting submitted for a lot of like frat boy roles and like the party kid roles and that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. and that's all fine and dandy but at the same time it's like you want to kind of explore a little deeper than that you know what I mean like you want to look for another bell or another timepiece or what have you but Mm -hmm. I think I think it just came natural because of the freedom that I was given in room 13 um, it was a very kind of cathartic little journey for me. Cause I, I mean, there, there was obviously a guideline to follow, but it was kind of like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio in 
playing like what's eating good or grape. He was playing Arnie Grape, mm. and he said that was a very cool experience just because he kind of got to do whatever he wanted. And I think you know filming with these guys for. Uh, almost 24 hours straight and doing this film, it kind of opened up my eyes to what I could do. And because I was so comfortable in front of the camera saying these cuss words and, and, and being a total and utter douchebag, it, it was, uh-huh. it was like, okay, like, well, this is one thing I for sure can do. If, if someone needs me to do, it, I can for sure do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but a lot of people, you yeah, know, a you're... lot of people when, when they, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry about that. Um, when, when people see you in this, in this film, they're like, oh man, you're an asshole. You're like a perfect asshole. And you almost get uh-huh. like, you almost get typecast <laughs> in the community about, about being an asshole. But some, yeah. some people forget, you know, it's like whether, you know, I'm an asshole in this, you got to remember, like, I'm still a seasoned, like trained actor. I went to the second city. I went to acting studio, Chicago. My acting coach, mm-hmm. Josie Harris Thacker is one of the best dramatic actresses in, in the country. Um, and there's still work to be done, but I think, you know, that kind of just happened because room 13 was so natural and so kind of fluid that it was just, it was, like I said, it was a very organic process. So I think that's where, um, not necessarily the typecast, but that's kind of where, you know, playing the asshole and the douchebag came into effect a little bit more, but I'm definitely, you know, ready to, to kind of dive into a different, uh, a different realm of, of, you know, characters and, and, and kind of expand my horizons. Cause if you play, you know, an asshole so much, you know, I know, no, there's not a lot of people in Chicago that have blown up to the masses yet. Probably have a good hand, uh-huh. handful of people, but if that ever does happen, you know, you want to make sure that people know you, you are a versatile actor. You're not just going to play an asshole. Um, so I'm definitely open for more opportunities, looking for the next kind of role to to really allow me to sink my teeth into. We know it, it, it can be an asshole, but let's 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 hold off on the on the popped up, you know, polos and and <laughs> cargo shorts and, and, and Sperry's, you know, so. But yeah, I mean, playing an asshole is fun, but you know, there's still a lot more kind of in the, uh, in the, the, the film character film realm to, to, to be done for sure. So you say you want to challenge yourself, right? I, I know I've asked oh, yeah. to, to uh, um, uh, a guest before, but if you were to pick one role, right. Um, what would be a challenging role for you that you would like to tackle? What you said, well, you cut out, you said, what would a challenge be that I like tackle? Yeah, what would be a challenging role that you would like to tackle? I, I've always been very interested in kind of exploring uh, a specific human condition, whether it's Tourette, mm. Tourette's or whether it's, you know, someone who's kind of bound to a wheelchair, um, whether it's e- even playing someone. I, I, this is kind of the first time I've said this publicly, but um, I got diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder and severe obsessive compulsive disorder a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of put my acting career on halt for a little while, but I've always been wanted. I've always wanted to experience, kind of experience and explore the different depths of what a human condition can can be explored with. You know, so like even with severe anxiety or ADHD or just a character piece that you can really dive into and get input from from others to kind of shed mm-hmm. shed light on a serious topic like that. So I, I'd love to do a period, not not period piece, um, just kind of a piece on on a specific human condition that a lot of people know about, but it's not really talked about a lot. I've always wanted to do that. So if that ever opens up, I'd love the opportunity to, to, to dive into that for sure. Oh, and I'd be interested to watch that, man. Cause I I think that it's, it takes so much work to, you know, play, you know, somebody with a, with a mental disability or a handicap. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's so hard. Like, I mean, to put yourself there mentally, and just because you get lost in that, you know, oh, yeah. you might end up losing yourself and your identity into that person with Tourette's or into that person with OCD For or, sure. you know, Absolutely. And that's, such that's a, a difficult role. It's such a serious topic, too, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just going to this, this is just kind of a broad statement to anybody listening to this. If you're an actor, an actress and you have anxiety or if you have OCD and you feel like you're stuck and you think that you can't be an actor. You can't be a creative or you can't be in this industry. If you have that, that is absolute bullshit. And don't listen to what anybody says because it's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. If anybody says that you cannot be in this industry, if you have anxiety or if you have OCD, that is, that is the time that you literally turn, turn around and walk away because they have no idea what they're talking about. And that's such an important thing because there are so many people in this industry. There's so many people in this industry that have a mental disorder and yeah. honestly, like my way of coping with like my anxiety and my stress and my like OCD is getting on a fucking film set and diving into a different world. That's how I mm-hmm. cope with it. 
So I, I always struggle to answer, or, you know, to, to, I always struggle to understand why people say you can't have a mental disorder when, and be in this industry because 99.9 of people in this industry have anxiety or have OCD or what have you, you know, that's so important to remember, you know, no matter what is going on in your life, if you're creative, you're creative, you can do this no matter what. And I mean, even if you didn't have a disorder, being in this industry long enough, you will develop a disorder. Absolutely. So for sure. It, who wouldn't have anxiety from an audition or being told no or you know, everybody in this industry is pretty blunt, man. I mean, if Absolutely. you suck, then you suck and they're going to tell you. So for sure. that's going to hurt you. I mean, you got to get told no, like anywhere from 50 to 100 times before someone even for gives you one, a yes. I mean, dude, it took my meaning like. So when I first got an agent in Chicago, my first audition, I, I, I read, I, I got a callback for it. And I was like, damn, this is easy. I'm going to get callbacks all the time. After that, it took me six months to get a callback. Six months to really? get a callback. That so just shows you, you go through six months of auditions. Let's say that's 20 auditions. You go 20 auditions being told, being told nothing. You, your agent doesn't even tell you if, you got a, if it went well or not. You go 20 times until you get another callback. And it just shows you how... how distressing this industry can be but you got to feed off that negative energy and say all right like you know like no matter what i'm still if i'm still getting auditions i'm still being considered for these parts so i got to chug mm -hmm. and chug and chug and chug and then once my time comes up it's i know it's gonna be my time and it's gonna be one of those times you're mm -hmm. not thinking about it you're gonna get done with your audition walk back to your car drive back home and not think about it and then boom you get a call hey you booked it you know it's just it's you got to stay up all the time that's 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 my one word of advice that i would tell actors you got to stay up you can't you can't feel sorry for yourself you can't you can't be moping around. You got to stay productive, stay proactive, and then one day, if you work hard enough, it's gonna, you're going to get there. Uh, do you have any special shout outs you want to give out? Let's see. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to my agent Viva. She's just the coolest people. Anybody who hasn't checked out Promote Talent, make sure you go check them out. Um, big shout out to uh, my lovely girlfriend and actress Rachel McGinley. She is she's working on something right now that she's going to be showing the world pretty soon. Uh, shout out Raul, uh, Luis, big shout out to you for having me on, dude. Um, and yeah, this is, this is, this is really fun. Hopefully the, hopefully you get some, some listeners to this one, man. <laughs> Actually, uh, before, before I end it, Jack Skull, you're working on that, right? I, I've been seeing you post around that. Yeah. So Jack Skull, um, that is a film that I wrote, um, our director is Shane Beecher. So we actually got pr principal photography done. With that, it's kind of in the editing stages. Um, Barton Fitzpatrick from The Shy, he is actually executive producing it as well. So just stay tuned. we got a Facebook page that's going to be built here in the next week or so for that film. Um, I would say in the next 30 to 60 days, we'll have a rough cut done. And we'll probably be starting to plan a premiere for it, whether it's in North Indian or Chicago. So just stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a fun little piece. Um, and uh, that's all I can say about that right now. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be dope for sure. All right, man. Well, I hope all all is well. Thank you for coming on, man. And I appreciate you. No, for, I mean what, what you said sure. earlier, man. You are a brother, so Luis, like, am I honestly definitely bro, be reaching is, out to you. This this is like this is the first time we talk, bro. But like I said, if you need anything at all, please feel free to let me know. Anybody in you know, if we're lucky enough to be a part of this of, of this community in Chicago, where everybody is so passionate about you know filmmaking and acting and stuff, you know, whatever I can do for you, please let me know. Um, you're a brother to me, and 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 as always, I'm always here, bro. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay centered on all Indie Center podcast episodes. If you are an independent creator and have a story to share and want to have a sit down, please email me at indiecenter.podcast at gmail.com. That's indiecenter.podcast at gmail.com. If you have sponsorship inquiries, I'd love to help local businesses. Please email me at indiecenter.podcast at gmail.com. Until next Monday, guys. Peace.